This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello from the COP28 Climate Talks in Dubai. I'm David Fogarty and I'm the host of the Green Pulse podcast for The Straits Times. Well, things are heating up here in Dubai as nations try to seal an ambitious climate deal, especially around fossil fuel emissions. And underscoring the risks, a study released today, December the 5th, shows that fossil fuel carbon emissions will reach a new record in 2023. The annual study, called the Global Carbon Budget, is produced by the Global Carbon Project. With us today to tell us more about the study and the Global Carbon Project is leading climate scientist Pierre Friedlingstein. Pierre is Chair in Mathematical Modelling of the Climate System at the University of Exeter and Britain. He also coordinates the annual Global Carbon Budget Study. Welcome to Green Pulse, Pierre. Thank you. Now, Pierre, what is the Global Carbon Project? So, the Global Carbon Budget is an activity we've been doing for 18 years now. We assess the emissions of CO2 from human activities, essentially fossil fuel burning of coal, oil and gas. And we do this at the country level. Also emissions from land use change, mainly deforestation, but also uptake of carbon due to afforestation or reforestation, and all sorts of change in cultivations. So these are on the emissions side from human activities. And then we also look at the fate of CO2 in the atmosphere. So a large fraction of these emissions stays in the atmosphere, about 50%, which is creating the increase in CO2 concentration, which is the main responsible of climate change. And another fraction, again, about 50%, is taken back by land and ocean systems. It's a natural response to the increasing CO2. You have more photosynthesis, more uptake of carbon into the ocean. So we track all of this component of the carbon budget. So we have a team of around 120 people across the world, scientists that assess these uh, estimates. So we gather the numbers, we do the modeling, we get the observations, we put all the pieces together to try to make our best understanding of the current state of the carbon cycle. And every year for the past 18 years, the consortium has released the annual carbon budget. Can you tell us more about this peer-reviewed study and the main types of data it analyzes? I think you've just mentioned some of that. Yeah, so it's a scientific publication. It's published in a journal, which is called Earth System Science Data. It's online publication, and we can actually update from year to year. So the core of the paper is always the same, but of course we update all the numbers, all the figures, and of course all the interpretation and discussion on, on the results. So the overall skeleton of the paper is more or less the same. We have essentially, I'm leading the whole activity, and it's subdivided in five teams. So there's one team which is in charge of getting the fossil fuel information. So it's done at the country level. We use the reporting from the countries on the emissions of coal, oil and gas, and transportation, aviation, for example, and domestic aviation. For the current year, it's a bit more complicated because, of course, the data are not available yet for the full year. So we have to make some projections of the current year. We can do this for the big countries, the big emitters, which is China, USA, Europe, and India. And then for the rest of the world, it's more like an aggregate estimate that we do. For the land use emissions, we have reporting from the FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization, on land cover and land cover change. So the amount of forest is changed from we don't have data on the yearly base, it's not from year to year, but it's like on every five years time step, we have new estimate on the forest cover, and again, at the country level from the FAO. 
And from these estimates of change in forest cover, you can try to derive the amount of carbon that was either gained or lost because you convert the forest into a cropland, for example. And what are the key findings from this year's analysis? So the main findings are that the global fossil fuel emissions are increasing in 2023 compared to last year. Our best estimate is 1.1% increase. So as, as we all know, we need to have reduction in CO2 emissions over time to stay within the limit of the Paris Agreement. We need to essentially reach that zero, and we don't see any sign of this happening yet. Global emissions are still going up for fossil fuel. So the fossil fuel emissions went down because of COVID in 2020, and they've been recovering since so 2021, 2 and 23. Emissions are going up and up and up, and now they are above the level before the COVID crisis. Second finding is the land use emissions are about 10% of total emissions. So the big culprit is fossil fuel. Land use is significant, but it's only 10%. There's a small decline in the land use emission. So deforestation rate is slowly declining, but it's nowhere near what's need to be achieved if you want to reach zero deforestation by 2030. The rate of decline in deforestation emissions is about 1% per year only. At the moment, we need essentially something like 10-15% per year if you want to reach zero in, in less than 10 years. If we look at total emissions altogether, fossil and land use, because of this difference between fossil fuel increasing slowly and land use declining slowly, the total total emissions are more or less stable. They've been stable for the last 10 years now, which is a bit of a good news. Total emissions are not increasing anymore, but I mean, stable emission is not what we need. We need zero emissions. Maybe plateauing from now, but it has to decline. It's not declining yet. There's one other piece of news which is interesting. We looked at fire and fire emissions, wildfire, and we see that I mean there was a huge amount of wildfires in 2023, especially in Canada. Usually, the fires are occurring mainly in the tropics. The tropics are responsible for, broadly speaking, 75% of the fire in a normal year. This year, because of Canadian fire, the fire was about 20-30% higher than average and half the global fire were happening in Canada this year. Which means that potentially the land carbon sinks that we have, or the reforestation that we do with I mean, afforestation to remove CO2 from the atmosphere, is at risk because climate change would reduce the strength of this carbon storage on land. Mm. So India and China, of course, collectively emit about 40% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuels. So tell us a little bit about the trends that you're seeing there in terms of coal, oil, and gas consumption. And of course, it's important to note that both nations are rapidly expanding renewable energy, but they are developing nations still and also have growing energy demands. Yes, exactly. So the situation is a bit different between China and India. Start with India, because it's in a sense a bit simpler. As you said, I mean, energy demand is increasing really, really fast because of I mean, development, economic development and also increasing population still which means they need more and more energy. So the demand is partly fulfilled with renewable. The renewable are expanding extremely fast. I mean, more than 10% per year in India at the moment, but it's not enough. So they still need more coal than they had last year to meet the demand in total energy. And this is why they have like a significant increase in global emissions, mainly coal and, and oil. In total, it's like about 8% emission from India compared to last year, plus 8% compared to last year. China is a bit different. I mean, the, the increase this year is significant as well. It's around 4%, 4 for 2023 compared to last year. 
but it's partly due to the fact that China was still in COVID lockdown in 2022. So the, the economy is reopening this year compared to last year, which in the sense is what we've seen for I mean, the US and Europe in 2021. It's happening in, in China this year. So I wouldn't say that the uh, increase in 2023 of 4% in China is something that is permanent. Hopefully it's happening this year and it might happen this year. Yeah, so just an additional question on China. I mean, the renewable energy expansion is by far the greatest of any single nation in the world. So, and I guess we'll get to this a little bit later, but are there signs that China will peak its fossil fuel emissions quite soon, as they've promised to do? It's hard to tell. I mean, especially because if I looked at I mean, the, the global carbon budget numbers, I mean, we look, they're looking at the past until present day. We are looking at the future. So we don't try to make projections. Other groups in the world, like the IEA, are trying to make some protections and they, and they do predict a peak in China that is occurring in the coming years. We don't do this prediction in GCB, so I can essentially either, I mean, reassess what they say or, I mean, give my personal feeling, which is, as I just said, a large fraction of the increase this year is because of recovering from, from lockdowns. This won't happen next year. So you could hope that next year the growth rate of emission in China would be much lower than 4%. Will it be above zero, below zero? I don't know. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. So overall, what are the findings from this year's study that concern you the most? And which ones give you a sense of hope? The one that's most concerning is the emissions are still increasing, 1.1%. If you look at what we call the remaining carbon budget, so the amount of CO2 we can still emit into the atmosphere before we reach 1.5 degree, as was, I mean, estimated in IPCC, we update the numbers, taking into account the emission we've been emitting since the report came out in 2021. So we've been emitting more and more CO2 every year. So if you remove all this quantity that we emitted, we are left with a budget which is equivalent to seven years of emission. So if we carry on emitting the same amount, or not even increasing, but if you carry on emitting the same amount of CO2 every year, there's a 50% chance that we would reach 1.5 degrees in seven years. I think last year the projection was nine years. This year it's now seven years. So we're getting really, really close to that. One of the reasons why, I mean, we, we dropped from nine to seven is because as of last year, there was only one study, IPCC, and we could update the numbers from IPCC. It was simple and easy. Now there's a new study that came out before the summer, with a slightly lower budget than IPCC, about 100 gigatons, about two years less. And so we had to decide what we use in the budget and which numbers we do update with the current emissions. And we decide to go for updating both estimate and taking the average. We kind of like IPCC because it has been assessed by the community, but the new study is newer, updated model, potentially better. We don't know for sure, the time will tell. So we decide for this time being, we can't decide we take A or we take B, so we take both, we take the average, this is why we dropped a bit more than a year. So, but in a sense, it doesn't really matter. And what is, what is clear from each of these studies, IPCC, the new study from the summer, or our study is that time is short, it's less than 10 years, could be six years, could be seven years, could be eight years, it's very short. And it means we need drastic reduction in emissions happening now. We can't just carry on emitting the same amount of CO2. So we need to phase down or phase out coal, oil, and gas as soon as possible. 
Yes, I mean, your study is, as you say, it's one of a number of analyses that have come out this year, and it's really quite a powerful reminder to the negotiators here that we really do need an ambitious outcome here. So just returning to the carbon budget analysis. Now, overall, the trend for emissions has been rising quite steadily, as you say, over the past 18 years since the first carbon budget was done. But the annual emissions increase is less than a decade ago. So are we any closer to a global peaking of emissions? Yes, we can hope we are getting closer to peak. And, and as, as you rightly said, if you look at the growth rate of emissions globally over the last 10 years, it's less than 1%, it's about half a percent. Of course, this includes the little drop that we had thanks to COVID, but on the average state, it's about half a percent. If you look 10 years before, around the year 2000-2010, it was more than 2% increase every year. So it's a much reduced increase in emissions that we had before. And that, this applies for all countries across the world. If you look at I mean, OECD countries, developed countries, the decline in emission is much larger than it was before. If you look at non-OECD countries, the increase in emission is not as large as it was before. I mean, I mean China is a great example. I mean, during the last decade, the increase in emission in China was about 1.5%. If you go back to the years before, it was 8%. So, yeah, countries are reducing the growth in emission or they are increasing the negative trend and declining emission, which is a good sign, of course, it's what you need, but it has to go faster. Now, one of the findings of the budget also is that emissions in the US are declining quite steeply, and particularly for coal. And I think they're also declining in the EU too, of course, because they've been forced to ramp up green energy uh, because of uh, constraining their gas supplies. So that is a positive finding, and it shows that the transition can happen quickly in some cases if, if nations really want to. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, especially if you look at the EU. I mean, the EU. I mean, this year, I mean, the, the decline in emission in the EU is more than seven percent, seven point four percent. And as you said, it's, I mean, it's mainly due to a strong decline in coal, almost twenty percent. And the emission from coal industry in the EU now are what they were like a century ago, essentially. It's the same for the US. Emissions of coal in the US are the same level as they were in the early part of the 20th century. So we are essentially getting rid of the coal. It's because of transition first from coal to gas. And now, as you said, from coal to renewable as well. So renewable are increasing, replacing coal. But in a sense, coal is probably the easiest fossil fuel to replace. It's not used in transportation, for example, it's only used in heavy industries and many major big factories, so it's one which is the easiest to get rid of, which is why it's happening now in the first place. Most of the negotiations, for example, are also I mean, saying that we need to tackle coal first, we need to get rid of coal in the first place, and then move into oil and gas. Now, just a final question. Now, the land and oceans are a vital carbon sink, a natural carbon sink. And they absorb a significant amount of CO2 from human activity, um, about half, I think, to, collectively. The other half, unfortunately, stays up in the atmosphere. So could you explain their role and whether they remain in, in good shape or will deteriorate as the world gets warmer? So, yeah, as you rightly said, I mean, they absorb a bit more than half of, of the emission, 55%. It's roughly 50-50 in the ocean, 50-50 in land. It's a bit more in the land. I think the land is about 30% and the ocean is about 25% of the total emissions, and then 45 stays in the atmosphere. We do understand the process very well on this. The reason for this land and ocean uptake is essentially, I mean, biochemistry and physics. You have more CO2 in the atmosphere, you have more exchange of CO2 between the atmosphere and the ocean, and therefore there's more uptake of carbon into the ocean. 
it stays in the surface of the ocean, then it gets get exported into the deep ocean. You can have more uptake in the surface layers and the process continues. On land, if you have more CO2, you have more plants, synthesis, more productivity, more biomass storage, more soil storage, essentially. And then you have a carbon sink on land. So these are the process. They work well. However, CO2 leads to climate change. Climate change is affecting this process as well. In the ocean, warmer temperature means lower solubility of CO2 in the water, which means there's less uptake of carbon. Warmer climate means also reduced ocean circulation, what we call the North Atlantic circulation, is slowing down. If it's slowing down, it means there's less export of carbon from the surface to the ocean. The CO2 stays longer in the surface, there's less uptake of CO2 from the atmosphere because the surface is more rapidly saturated. On land, it's a different process, but it's essentially leads to the same outcome, which is warming leads to either reduced productivity because it's hot, dry fires, or warming leads to warming of the soil, more decomposition, permafrost stowing, release of carbon from the soil. And all of this together means reduced uptake on land. So if you look at the numbers, the good news is that the land and the ocean are still taking about 50%. More than 55. If we look over the last 50 years, it's more or less constant. We don't see a decline in the total uptake from land and ocean. But if we use models, and if, when we use the models, we can separate the effect of CO2 versus the effect of climate. And the effect of climate alone is a reduction of the land sink by about 20%, and the return of the ocean sink by about 7%. The effect of CO2 is still winning. And because there's more and more CO2 in the atmosphere, there's more and more uptake. The uptake increase, but it would increase even faster if there was no climate change. On the rest of the 21st century, with more warming, we expect more reduction of the sinks, both in land and in the ocean, with potentially strong reduction and a larger fraction of CO2 staying into the atmosphere. Right, so that means uh, warming could accelerate. More warming, exactly. More warming for the same amount of emission because the land in the ocean wouldn't take the same amount as it do today. Right, well, on that rather grim note, thank you so much for joining Green Pulse today, Pierre. It's been thank a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.